Hi, welcome to Timely Issues, the podcast. The title of the program is Health Tourism Grounded Crisis Communications, and my hope today is to cover the basics of uh, the rules of crisis communications. Uh, we'll talk about uh, defining the crisis. We'll talk about um, rules of communications during a crisis preparation, although uh, to many that may seem too late, but it's never too late to prepare for the next challenge. And we'll talk about what can be done during and after a crisis. And I want to remind everybody during this program of the value of digital channels in your communications, uh, especially during a time uh, like this. The main points um, I want to cover is that there are indeed tried and true methods for managing communications during a crisis. And those methods can not only prevent damage to your brand, but they can indeed improve your connections with your markets and your audiences. Uh, these systems, these skills can be learned and applied. Um, and also to your internal and your external audiences, uh, both of which are equally important. And very importantly, um, these tools will help with protecting your brand from damage that's unnecessarily self-inflicted damage uh, during, during a crisis. Um, so the first thing that I want to point out is that for all of us, regardless of whether we are destination managers or we are uh, working in healthcare providers or wellness organizations, uh, there had been this myth of exceptionalism that it won't happen here. Uh, we have a great reputation. We know what to do, and my team can handle it. Whatever you may have thought about it, that um, myth should be crushed and that it's imperative that not only we have the skills and understanding of what to say when the situation is bad, but also that there be systems in place that can kick into gear and respond during, before, during, and after uh, a crisis. So I like starting with definitions, crisis definition, uh, is any unexpected or expected event which has or can have uh, adverse impacts on your organization, uh, and importantly, impacts on your brand. And that includes this pandemic, but it also includes things that can happen in your location, uh, in your organization, deaths and injuries, violence, uh, fires, floods, and other events. So the principles I'll be talking about here apply equally in those environments. And to put things in context as to how crisis communication can take an event and turn it into something not as negative, I want to give you an example of two very similar crises that happened and with two very different outcomes. Many of you will have heard of the Exxon Valdez 
which was a oil tanker that uh, crashed in Alaska, ran aground and spilled millions of gallons of oil and created an ecological uh, disaster. And it riveted the attention uh, of many people uh, around the world. Similar, very similar accident is called the Ashland oil uh, crisis, which where uh, a tank uh, very near the city of Pittsburgh in, um, in the United States uh, spilled three and a half million gallons, three and a half million gallons of oil uh, in a river very close to Pittsburgh. Now, Exxon Valdez is used as an example uh, of what not to do in a crisis. But most people have forgotten about the Ashland oil crisis. And that's because those two uh, disasters were handled in very different manners. In the Exxon Valdez case, the CEO of Exxon sent a series of uh, lower level managers to, the, to Alaska to try to deal with the situation. Um, and then when he finally showed up weeks later, he seemed put out impatient, and it seemed as though he didn't want to be there. In the Ashland oil spill, quite the opposite. The Ashland CEO showed up right away, took charge, began to brief the press, and managed the media through the crisis. Now, I'm not suggesting that this crisis is the same as an ecological challenge like the uh, like what happened in Alaska or what happened uh, on the Monongahela River in Pennsylvania. What's different here is that Mother Nature isn't being endangered. Grandma is. Uh, that elderly individuals in congregate care centers like nursing homes are uh, disproportionately infected and are having experiencing deaths and illnesses associated with this disease. So this is quite personal. The second issue is that our entire sectors are under siege because of this illness. The subject of this uh, webinar is indeed health tourism, and the health sector is under siege, as is the tourism sector. And we'll look at some data on that in a moment. The third reason why this is extraordinarily different is because of the uncertainty associated with it. In the case of both Exxon Valdez, Ashland Oil, and other ecological uh, events, other ecological disasters, there was certainty about uh, when it would be over, uh, when the recovery would occur, and what the nature of the recovery would be like. In this situation, unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be any clear end in sight. Uh, in fact, I'll be hosting another webinar on May 9th, talking about the road ahead for health tourism based on the current uh, situation in both the health and the tourism markets. So that's an important, those are important differences between historical ecological situations and the current situation with the, the novel coronavirus and COVID-19. And of course, the, one of the huge differences is that the coronavirus and COVID-19 strike at the heart of our healthcare systems wherever the, wherever the infections take hold. And to date, 
there have been over 200,000 deaths and over 3 million confirmed cases. So my hope here isn't to talk so much about the nature of the transmission or the illness itself, but to rather talk about how we respond to it. So what's our response to this uh, situation, this pandemic, this tragedy? And what's your response? So I told, I said at the beginning that we talk about the impact on travel and health. And certainly in this slide, we, we can see this picture was taken from a hospital in Italy. Uh, the healthcare systems in many countries have been stretched to the breaking point because of this disease. But in travel as well, the situation is just as this slide depicts. The number of uh, airline trips has plummeted as locations around the world have closed down travel and put in place restrictions for travelers both into and out of their, uh, their locations. I can tell you, I'm, I'm speaking you, to you today from Lisbon and we're accustomed to hearing airplanes flying overhead most of the day and a good part of the evening. And now when we do hear an airplane, it's an exceptional event. So I'd like to review with you, and I hope you'll ask questions as we go along here, but I'd like to review with you some of these rules and um, errors. So what's right and what's wrong about communications in a crisis? And the first rule I'd like you to consider is that it's important to stop all routine and scheduled press releases, uh, postings, and e-newsletters. Only essential on-target messages should be released at this time. I uh, marvel at how I still receive emails uh, talking about the uh, exciting growth in medical tourism, how uh, health travelers are clamoring to get to this destination or that destination. And those kinds of messages are the result of scheduled, uh, somewhat routine releases that were set up weeks ago by public relations uh, destinations and healthcare providers. And unfortunately, those messages not only are uh, inappropriate, they can be counterproductive to your brand and to your image. Um, and it's wrong to say that, well, no one's going to notice those things because they do. And what can it hurt? Well, it can hurt your brand and damage your reputation. Quite on the other side of the coin, a very common problem in crisis communications is to leave the communications to other people. The rule here is that you have to say something. You, you as a destination manager or as a health and wellness provider, must speak to the issue that's at the forefront of everyone's minds. And there are basically two ways to do that. One is with a passive voice, where you place information about the crisis, about your response to the crisis, about your activity in your area or in your uh, domain of healthcare, to talk about what you're doing and to place that information 
into channels like your website, your social media channels. And I would refer to that as in passive voice. This is what we are doing. There's also an active voice where you can send messages to your audiences to communicate to them how your, your organization is responding to the crisis, what's happening in your location, what's occurring within your organization, how your healthcare heroes are faring. These are messages placed into channels actively to communicate to your multiple audiences, not only that you're, you're still there and you're still uh, working and alive and well, but that you're responding to this crisis. Um, and what's wrong here is to assume that nobody's listening because indeed they are. Uh, we know from very good scanning on, of the internet that activity in internet channels and in social media channels is very high right now because so many people are working from home and using channels. Many of you are participating in this webinar and you would not have ordinarily found the time or been able to fit in a webinar uh, in your time zone on this topic, but many people do. And so it's an error to think that no one is listening right now. They are. And there are lots of sources for information, but your brand, your organization, your destination has a distinct role in many consumers' and customers' minds. And my hope is that you will reinforce that role by driving home your responsiveness and demonstrating your interest in communicating the essence of your brand to your target audience. Another classic error in any crisis, and it's been the case in this one, I'm afraid, uh, is waiting. Uh, the rule here is to get up, get it out, and get in front of the public rhetoric, the public discussion of the issues. Uh, up until even as early as this morning, I was looking at websites on behalf of a client to see who had posted information about developments around COVID-19 infections or about restrictions of tra for travel into and out of certain destinations. And it's amazing to me how um, slow the health and the travel sectors in the health tourism domain have been to put information on their websites or in the social media channels. And every channel is important in a time like this, especially digital channels. And it's especially wrong to use the blame game and to uh, make accusations in your uh, communications with your audience about this person didn't do that or that person didn't do something, this organization failed. That's, there'll be plenty of time for other people to dissect the problem. If you represent a destination, you represent a provider, it's terribly important that you be as constructive as possible in this time and use messages and images that convey uh, to the extent possible positive uh, images and messages. It's wrong not to respond. Failure to respond is, uh, is leaving a vacuum in the minds of your consumers and your customers. And that's extraordinarily dangerous. So please don't wait, put information, at least put passive information 
on your websites, in your social media channels about your destination, your organization, your clients' organizations, and how they're responding to these challenges. The other error that occurs frequently, and many of us have been um, asked to respond to interview requests, asked to comment. There are a lot of opportunities to um, talk with individuals who are um, representing media outlets, online, print, or electronic TV, radio. It's very, very important that we all understand that if you don't want to see it in print, online, hard copy, or be referred to in a television or even a blog post, don't say it or write it. Whatever you say or write is fair game for any reporter, any media uh, blogger, anyone to grab hold of and use, and that can be used to your detriment. Also, with regards to your staff, your employees, your team, don't wait and wonder what they're going to say. Tell them what to say. Give them messages, and I'll we'll be going over the rules for developing messages in a crisis. Give them information about what they can share and how to share it. Equally important, ask them when not to share information, both from a privacy point of view and a reputation protection point of view. It's wrong, therefore, to speak before thinking, uh, and it's wrong to assume that the media already knows what's going on. It's, uh, we're in a situation uh, around the world where the uh, print and electronic media have been consolidating aggressively. There are fewer and fewer news outlets around the world. So experienced reporters are also fewer and fewer around the world. So we shouldn't assume that someone who represents a news outlet, whether it's electronic or print or um, online, we shouldn't assume that this individual has a lot of experience. We should help that person. And I'm reminded of the old adage that uh, we need to have uh, press packets. We need to have press packages with background information about our organization and about the sector in which we work. Those packages are still important today and maybe, especially for younger reporters, even more important today. So assume that the media doesn't know should be the rule instead of considering the error that the media does know, because in, very often the media will not know. Another important rule is that well, nobody likes to admit they've made a mistake, especially to our staff or the outside world. But that's so critical to building trust and restoring uh, your reputation at a time like this. So take responsibility. And in this, in this message, I say, take responsibility for something. It's an error to hide behind others to say, well, I can't talk about that right now because the lawyers are reviewing it. Or I don't want to talk about that right now because, well, there's privacy issues involved. No. You talk about something. Give your audience information that they want and that they need 
in a particular way that I'll talk with you about in a moment. But you need to figure out what it is you can say to your audience and be able to say it honestly and clearly, not to hide and not to delay and not to make muddy the waters. In particular, I'll be sharing with you two case studies, um, which I think highlight these points. The issue is to take responsibility. We are responsible in so many ways for uh, our audiences. We're responsible for those who work with us. We're responsible for those who support us. We're responsible to our customers. We're responsible to our consumers. And we're responsible to our colleagues to demonstrate and to show through what we put online, what we put into the media, what we have published, to show them that we're taking these matters uh, seriously and we're responding um, clearly, intelligently, and ethically to this uh, extraordinary uh, crisis. With that being said, another one of the rules is never underestimate the ability of someone on your team to do something unexpected under stress. Everybody's under stress. Um, so the rule here is be flexible, respond to all new events and information. And it's wrong to take, uh, to fail to take rumors seriously. Rumors and misinformation are extraordinarily dangerous, which is why you see in the media, there's scrutiny going through public leaders uh, and business leaders' statements about the situation in their destinations, the situations within their organizations. Uh, people are going through these statements very carefully because the trustworthiness of these statements are critical to the sense of well-being that individuals experience and to what we do. Do we wear a mask? Do we go out? Do we not go out? Uh, what level of physical distancing? When will it be safe to travel? These are extraordinarily important and rumors and misinformation are dangerous. And going back to the point I made earlier about passive communications and making certain that you have information on your websites and in your social media channels that's accurate and reliable and authoritative, this is one of the reasons that's so important is to be able to refer people to information that's authoritative and will dispel rumors. Rumors are dangerous at a time like this. <clears throat> So uh, it's important that we understand the communications needs of your audiences and that you make accommodation for them by putting information on your website, in your social media channels that's accurate, reliable, and authoritative. Uh, Stackpole and Associates has done this, and virtually every organization can and should take similar steps. Another important rule for communications, especially in this particular uh, COVID-19 crisis, is that we need to make sure that the consequences of our statements are considered. And one application of this, that this crisis, it's not going to be over for an awfully long time. Um, I say here, it's never over for someone. 
many of us know someone, even someone close to us, who has become ill or who has been seriously um, uh, disjointed because of this illness, separated from family, separated from loved ones, uh, uncertain about the fate of loved ones. There is never an opportunity in this environment for us to say, it's done, let's go home. No victory dances, uh, no being dismissive, oh, it's going to go away. It's all going to be fine. Don't worry about it. That kind of pandering, uh, dismissive language in our communications, both verbal and certainly in print, on writing, on our websites, in, our, in media outlets, uh, casts us as being insensitive and unaware of the fact that 200,000 people have died and three, over 3 million people at this point have been diagnosed with the illness. So this is not a time we will not in any time, any time soon have an opportunity for a victory dance. And that needs to be taken into consideration in our crisis communications uh, plans and, and methods here during the COVID-19 crisis. Now, in some situations, we need to negotiate communications with uh, lawyers or with other intermediaries, our insurance company or others. But the rule here is to maintain open lines of communication. In fact, to be actively communicating to as broad an audience as possible, even those audiences who have been hurt. And we, the rule again here, similar to previously, is we need to find something to say to them. And I'll give you a formula for how to do that. Saying something has happened. Someone has become infected. Uh, the infection rate has increased. Uh, is not the same as accepting legal culpability or responsibility for what's occurring. But it's extremely important that we understand the needs of our audiences and that we respond to those needs with transparency and candor. It's very dangerous to ignore feedback, especially the kind of feedback saying, well, I can't find out what's going on. They won't tell me. I see in the newspaper uh, statements by family members saying, well, I can't find out what's going on. They won't tell me. That's, that's an outcome to be absolutely avoided and can be avoided with active communications channels. So while in some situations we need to have the lawyers and insurance brokers and other people uh, coaching us, uh, there's, never, there's never a situation where we have to be completely silent with our audiences. Now you're getting the sense that so much of crisis communication is um, involved in critical preparation is critical. And indeed, that is the case. Who says what to whom and when uh, needs to be thought about beforehand. So I'm going to go through some of the preparation in the hope that uh, you, the audience, and those whom you share this webinar recording with, that you can use these guidelines for the current situation and for future situations as well. They're equally applicable. And preparation, preparation, 
and preparation is so important before the you-know-what hits the fan. So before the crisis, we need systems in place to say who says what and to whom, where the phone numbers are for not just the police and the fire, but the other emergency services, where the emails are, the phone numbers. And within an organization, if you've got uh, if you're a provider or you've got a busy uh, uh, destination management organization, those phone numbers need to be in everybody's phone. They need to be close to every phone, every shift, every location. And uh, we need to develop scripts, scripts for all of the people who are in any way going to be called by or contacted by anyone in the media or anybody from the general public. The best method, the best model for communications in a crisis is drafted in this script below. And it's uh, paraphrased as though it were a phone call, but it would be equally effective as a response to an email. And it basically says, thanks for calling. I'm afraid I can't comment on your question. Give me your contact details and I'll be sure to pass them on. Not to just anybody, but to a particular person because the person answering the phone will know in advance that all such contacts are to be directed to Mrs. Flynn. So be sure I'll pass them on to Mrs. Flynn. We'll be in touch with you as soon as possible. And thanks for your patience. In a really sophisticated way, the person responding might even ask, do you have a deadline for this story? Are you working on a deadline for this so that I can share that information with Mrs. Flynn? These, this is, this uh, responsiveness will, be, will make sure that in the media, you don't read, well, we tried to contact ABC Hospital, but no one was available for comment because you've made it clear that someone is available and someone will get back to you uh, right away. So before, what else before? This all suggests that there is a plan in place and we can be working on our current crisis and planning for the next one in very constructive ways. First of all, lists of local media, radio, Press, don't forget the freebies, the uh, penny papers that are distributed in local marketplace areas uh, at the grocery store or the bodegas or the, um, the hairdressers. Those freebies are very, very important. E-newsletters, social media, Google alerts, et cetera. And if you don't have Google alerts set up, um, I hope you will. I hope you will just go to Google and type in alerts and go ahead and set up Google Alerts for um, a variety, your name, the name of your organization, and the name of your destination. And so you can keep track of what's being said in the media about you, your organization, and your destination. It's very important, if you can, to build these relationships before the crisis occurs. Now that the crisis has occurred, this is also an opportunity for you to build relationships, not only with your staff, 
your customers and your consumers, but also with your media, again, as being an honest, transparent, and direct source for authoritative information during the crisis. That relationship can be extraordinarily important for you going forward. It will build trust, build trust in you, and build trust in your brand. And of course, as with any crisis, uh, the key is practice. And during this crisis, many of us are getting a lot of practice, more practice than many, uh, many folks wanted to have. Also, before it's really important to review your digital assets, uh, <clears throat> that means looking at your website, looking at social media, and evaluating how effectively these are not only reaching your audiences, but how effectively they're representing your brand. Um, audiences rely on these now more than ever. Your website, Facebook, email distribution lists, e-newsletters, Instagram, Pinterest, whatever it is. And it's not whether you're comfortable using these channels. It's, what you're, it's rather what your audiences use. During a, during a crisis, during a crisis communications um, time such as we're in, it's tremendously important that if you're contacted by an editor or a publisher, if you're called, <clears throat> vet every media inquiry, every single one. What paper, journal, radio, TV station did you say you were with? Write it down and reply to every media inquiry. Even the ones which you discover through your research are illegitimate. That warrants a response as well. Not the same as inquiries from legitimate sources, but every media inquiry needs a response. Failing to re reply invites speculation, speculation about the worst. And again, I'll say, you can always say something. During a crisis, you want to create external talking points. It's terribly important that in all of your messages, all of your verbal communications, and all of your print communications, that you do not use the first person singular. I, I, I. Because frankly, it's not about you. It's about your audience. It's about the situation. So I'm going to suggest that we together adopt the process of using what I call, I don't think I coined this, the sandwich. And it's basically three things. One is you state what your vision, mission, and values are. So at Stackpole and Associates, our first responsibility is to measurably improve the, um, the relationships between and among uh, clients, consumers, and health and seniors living's organizations. That's our mission. So I state that first. If you're a provider at uh, ABC Hospital, our first responsibility is to the safety and well-being of our patients and staff. That's where you start. You start by saying what your principles are. Second, you talk about the situation, about the response to the question that was posed to you. We're deeply concerned about the COVID-19 incidence rate and are working uh, feverishly through our uh, healthcare staff, our heroes on the front line, 
and exploring every option to suppress the curve. That's because our hospital remains committed to the safety and well-being of our patients and staff. And we want to thank families, staff, fire officials, law enforcement, politicians for their dedication and assistance at this challenging time. Any of you who have listened to a trained politician or business leader talk about a difficult uh, subject like COVID-19, uh, you'll recognize this pattern in their communications. They talk about the mission, vision, values. They talk about the problem. And then they, talk, they repeat the mission, vision, and value, creating a sandwich uh, in response. Similarly, the internal statements are sandwiches as well. They have a few more layers to them because the internal audiences, your staff, your board, your investors, they need more. They need more information. And this is how to structure it. Our first concern is the safety, health, and well-being of our staff. This occurred uh, three more of our frontline. I'm making this up, paraphrasing. Three more of our frontline uh, workers have tested positive. We are quarantining, investigating, tracing, tracking. Next, during this difficult time, please go to me, go to Mrs. Flynn for any questions or further information. Here's a point. Refrain from commenting outside of ABC because of its privacy nature and because uh, we want to deliver the best, most complete information possible. And if there are rumors circulating or partial stories circulating, that will make the situation far more difficult for our families and our friends at this difficult time. Thank you for your cooperation and patience. Repeat the vision, vision, mission, or values, our first concern. And then finally, call me at any time. This means that the leaders within the organization who are stepping up and getting it out, getting in front of, are taking personal responsibility for communications <clears throat> at a difficult time. So now I'd like to share with you two uh, recent case studies regarding the COVID-19 uh, pandemic that I think will illustrate the uh, impact in the media of uh, effective and frankly, ineffective communications techniques. The first of these is uh, New Zealand's um, uh, president, excuse me, the prime minister. Now, this uh, was taken, I think, from The Guardian, the headline, what is New Zealand's elimination strategy and how has it united the country? And I, I think you'll all agree that this image, whether you agree or disagree with uh, the strategy of New Zealand, New Zealand prime minister, regardless of what your political orientation is, I would argue that this is a constructive headline. That is to say, it's positive. And the image of the prime minister supports the headline. So these are constructive uh, images and constructive language at a difficult time. 
the story goes on to talk about how the quote unquote elimination strategy has been deployed and how uh, Jacinda Adarms has been, I think I said her name correctly, forgive me, Jacinda, that she has uh, what she's the step she's taken to unite um, her government and her public health professionals and the country. Now, where did the media get that story? The media got that story from people in the government. So this was all very carefully um, established, and even information that wasn't necessarily flattering was made available to the media for the development of this story. On the other hand, I'm going to offer you another example, <clears throat> case study number two. Uh, this is the president of uh, Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, whom I know many of you understand, uh, contracted uh, the novel coronavirus and had symptoms of COVID-19. Um, this headline uh, uses the word his name and then ignored by other people in power amid anger at handling of COVID-19 crisis. So the headline itself is quite damning. And you'll see that this picture uh, conveys a message of uh, disregard and um, boldness, even rashness. So these, this headline and this image conspire to create or portray a picture that's dramatically different from this headline and this picture. The individuals in both governments, in both political groups, had an opportunity to um, manage these messages, and this is how they handled it. And I would make this I would make the very firm suggestion that this is a way better, a far better use of the media in a crisis than this. Let's move on to after the crisis. After the crisis is a time we can't really be sure about. Got some general ideas, and I hope you'll join us on May 9th uh, when we talk about the road ahead for health tourism. But the stage, the steps in crisis communications here is somewhat reflective. Determine the extent of the damage. Develop, if necessary, a repair plan. And you'll know you need a repair plan if your image, the trust in your brand is damaged. And you'll learn that by asking your audiences from whom you will ask feedback. You're going to help correct misinformation, execute the repair plan, and say thank you. Thank you to your audiences for their attention, for their uh, staying open to you during the time, during the time of the crisis. <clears throat> so the question here, this is a bit of a mini audit for your preparation for a crisis. Do you have a designated crisis team? If not, why not? Only because you haven't put one together. Is there a clear team leader and backup? Because you know, bad stuff just doesn't happen nine to five, Monday through Friday. Who's responsible for communications? And does everybody know who to contact? Do you have a notification process? 
In the old days, we used to call them phone trees. Uh, these days, we can call them email distribution lists or text lists. Have you considered which staff members own relationships with certain audiences? And are they on board with the communications program that you've got? And this all boils down to, does everyone know what to do? Do we, we know what to expect. We know to expect the unimaginable. Uh, very few people outside of a few public health, global health professionals knew in advance uh, that this was coming. Um, we can prepare, we can plan, and that means getting digital, as digital as we can, uh, just like this webinar, then execute and listen to your audiences. And in conclusion, I suggest to you uh, what uh, George Bernard Shaw said, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. If you enjoyed these podcasts, please subscribe and be sure to tell your friends and colleagues. Thanks for listening.